You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You, you feel this, this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. Feels good to be back. Took a little, uh, little breaky break, much needed break. Um, well, here's here's the deal. We've got a bunch of calls, and um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to go about this. And and here's what I think we're gonna do. We're gonna do what we did the other time, where we were behind and wanted to keep it fresh, and that is start with newer calls first. Uh, at least for now, until we kind of get a little more caught up. This is going to serve sort of two purposes. Um, number one is we're not talking about, you know, one day after the game type content anymore. Um, and number two is part of the reason I think I needed a break is because it was n- it was becoming nothing more than screaming and ranting and raving, and even though that's my jam... It just kind of weighs on you after a while. And I noticed I started hating doing the podcast and Twitter and everything else was nothing but fighting and arguing. And it's like, this is stupid. This is childish stupidity. This is a freaking game. Kids play this. My kid plays this game. And beyond that, and I was just thinking about this yesterday, we're all on the same freaking team. <laughs> we're all fighting each other with seething hatred Because we all want the exact same thing in very, 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 very slightly different ways. Human beings are stupid. You're getting pissed off at somebody else because they want the absolute best for you. They want the Green Bay Packers to win a Super Bowl so that your life can be happy and fulfilled. They just think that there's maybe a different way to get there, and you want them dead. And I start getting into that. You know, everything just made, everybody's angry at me for everything, and I'm angry at everybody else for everything else. You know, it's, I feel like every time I open my mouth, somebody's got a smart aleck comment they want to say, and it's like, you know what? I'm going to freaking bludgeon you right here and now. And it's like, what are, we, what are we doing? Why? Aaron Rodgers, that's why. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. And then I thought, you know what? We're going to mix it up. We're going to talk about a different option. We're going to talk about quarterback, but differently. I'm going to talk about quarterbacks in the draft. That way we're not talking about Love. We're not talking about Rodgers. We'll talk about a third option. What if Rodgers stays and we draft somebody? Or Rodgers leaves, I guess, and we draft somebody. It's just, it's just a third option. 
And the feedback was essentially, I'm going to stop listening to your show because you keep talking about quarterback. <laughs> it's like, okay, can't do that. Which it, which is, again, I took a break for that reason because I'm getting tired of talking about it. But at the same time, I can't just avoid it forever. It's the only thing that's going on right now. So in hopes that newer content is going to be sort of getting away from that a little bit. Because my, my other thought was, I'm going to start from the, from the oldest calls and work through, but any quarterback calls, I'm just going to skip it. But that's stupid. I have been getting a lot of feedback about, you have to stop talking about Rodgers and all that, but I'm not going to plan it out. But Packernet After Dark is about you guys calling in and talking about what you want to talk about. And I'm not going to start saying, sorry, I've had a couple complaints, and so I'm canceling all calls about Rodgers. If that's what you want to talk about, that's all the feedback I need. That's what the show is. Um, but in hopes that what you want to talk about more recently isn't Rogers, <laughs> we're going to start more recently. Also, bad news. Tomorrow, considering today is Tuesday, tomorrow is probably going to be a lot of Aaron Rodgers because he's going on Pat McAfee. Although I don't really expect him to make any major. Now, we went through this last year, you know. I mean, Rodgers has told us flat out he wants to take his time. Let me just get my opinion on what's going to happen tomorrow while I can out there. Well, I just said we shouldn't be talking about Rodgers, but it's not pro or con. It's just a, a prediction about what he's going to say. We know he wants to take his time. We know the Packers are not going to tell him, you're out of here, bum. And so I don't see any real reason why Rodgers would go on McAfee and say, I'm leaving. Which is, remember we did this last time, it was like, he went on Pat McAfee, it's like, here it is, here it comes, here it comes. He's like, I don't know. And then next week, here it comes. And the next week, here it comes. And then I think he like took a break from it. And it's like, oh crap, he's not like he said he was going to take like a month break from McAfee, and that he was going to announce it on McAfee. So he's we're going to not know for like a month. Like what the heck, dude? It's been like three months. I thought this was going to be quick. So I don't think I don't think it's going to be big, but it's probably going to come up tomorrow. Anyways, six zero eight five zero one zero seven one eight is the phone number to call if you'd like to call in and talk about whatever you want to talk about. New callers go first, and we do have a new caller. So why don't we start? With that. Hey, Brian. This is a longtime listener, first time caller. Hey, man. Calling you while on business here in Germany and um, thought I would run a little conspiracy theory by you. I know oh. you can appreciate those. Yes. So, um, what I was thinking is the Packers, uh, they are finally a business. Okay. They're, they're turning a profit, they have business interests like Title Town. And we know that Mark Murphy is at the center of a lot of that. Uh, but Mark, no doubt, has his own uh, stakeholders, board members, business community members that are leaning on him. Yep. And uh, those are the people that have business interests in Titletown, for example. And what if those people were putting pressure on him to keep that gravy train rolling? Um, you know, having a mediocre Aaron Rodgers could be delivering more profit to the Packers than switching over to an unproven Jordan Love. Mm. Uh, and so what if Mark Murphy told Goody and Matt to keep Aaron Rodgers running if they felt that they could still work with him? And I did some basic checking on that theory. Okay. You can actually find what the operating income is of different football teams. I checked, uh, you know, the Packers, and then I also checked the Patriots just to see what happened to the Patriots pre and post um, Tom Brady. Okay. And uh, sure enough, although the COVID 
the COVID time kind of complicates things. Right. Um, the operating income right now for the Patriots is down. Yep. Uh, has not recovered from the Tom Brady era. Um, and uh, on the other side, the Packers, which they do not have as much operating income, they've even had uh, one year there where when they ran a loss. And uh, so it, it became apparent to me that there could be some incentive to keep a guy around, um, not to put butts in seats because those seats are always full regardless of what happens, but to uh, keep the title town and merchandise sales rolling. So thanks uh, for entertaining that and uh, look forward to your comments. You know, it's funny. As far as conspiracy theories go, that one doesn't, it doesn't, why am I starting with doesn't? That's the worst way to start it. It, it, it makes more sense than your average conspiracy theory. Um, you know, we, we, we've always, I've always said one of the benefits of not having an owner is we don't have to deal with this kind of stuff. Because a lot of times you'll hear owners, you know, they'll, they'll want to go grab the Johnny Manziels. Why? They sell tickets. That's why Dallas wanted to get them. And they, the card had to be ripped out of his hand and everything. I mean, that's why, that's why they want this stuff. It's about selling tickets. It's, it's about selling tickets more than winning, which also fits what you're saying about, you know, you'd rather have mediocre Rodgers than uh, love. I mean, especially if we're talking, you know, it's his last season. You get the additional drama that's going on. You got people coming in and just wanting to see the show, uh, whatever that may be. I'm sure there's going to be something, some kind of a drama here or there. Um, you know, Packers, Bears, I own you, all, all these things that build up over the years. And again, you think, well, if you don't have an owner, you don't have that worry. His only job is to make sure that you're winning, but you're right. He has now gotten mixed up with businesses, um, and these businesses want there to be profits, and they're going to be probably putting pressure on him. Now, I don't necessarily, you got to, I think the biggest flaw in the whole thing is um, we're not dealing with Ford Motor Company or Google or Tesla or, you know, Samsung, you know, or multi-billion dollar industries. Um, this is, this is little mom and pop shops. You know, there's, a, there's a pretty nice hotel across the street, you know, there's condominiums and everything else, but I'm guessing Mark Murphy's the big man on campus when he walks into a room and putting pressure on him um, is going to be a tough thing to do. And so there would have to be a lot of pressure exerted on him, and I don't know that there's enough of it, but enough for him to kind of put pressure on the GM, which I don't think he would want to do, who would then put pressure on um, Jordan Love. I, I, I could be, or on Jordan Love, on, on Matt LaFleur. Or maybe Jordan Love. I don't know. Just for fun, I guess. Hey, loser. <laughs> I don't know. Um, just don't want him to materialize in anything. That would be my, my biggest thing. If, if this was, because, you know, I mean, this stuff happens. I mean, the, the bigger you are, the more push and pull you have. And um, I think that would be my biggest uh, argument against it, I guess. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is a little bit of that. Uh, or, or at the very least, even if it's not the larger conspiracy of the businesses putting pressure on Murphy, I mean, it could just be Murphy himself putting the pressure on himself. He's invested a lot into this title town. And, and of course, when you do that, everything's kind of hanging on a thread. You know, when you just open these things and all of it's based on, you know, 
the Packers. I mean, Green Bay, Wisconsin isn't going to be able to sustain all this on its own. It's based on the Packers and to some degree, the Packers popularity. I mean, you try to build title town in, well, I mean, Jacksonville could survive because it's Jacksonville or whatever, but a, a small town that can't hold it without the team. And then the team doesn't have really a fan base here in trouble. And if it's LA or Jacksonville or any of these teams that don't really have large fan bases, it wouldn't survive. So there could be that fear. So yeah, that works. And you could even probably fill that out. I'm not going to do it right here and now, but if you go back to 2018, 2019, when the team did a hard turn toward Aaron Rodgers, maybe it was more than just the MVP season that did it. When did they start breaking ground on title time? I'm sure it's been in the works for a long time, but when did they start breaking ground? When did the uh, the need for massive amounts of money start flooding in? Oh, how about this? COVID. 2020 COVID hits. All those businesses take a massive hit because nobody's showing up and, and suddenly the light bulb goes on. We are in a lot of trouble and we need a lot of money and we can't afford to get rid of Rogers right now. Boom, there we go. We're, we're, making, we're making progress here. That's when it became abundantly clear. We need, we need those receipts, son. We need that cash register cha-chinging because we are in a lot of trouble. And this, however, multi-million dollar project is going to go to zero pretty quick, as is my legacy if we don't get some people in here quickly because COVID just decimated us. I like that. I like it. Got another call for me, dude? So this is Rich again. Hey, Rich. Just uh, a few things I missed I wanted to say. Go Pack Go. For those of you who are on the fence about donating or contributing to uh, the podcast, please do so. Please look at Patreon. Support it. Um, Very much appreciate everything you've done through the uh, quiet times and the exciting times. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Bye. Appreciate that, Rich. Glad you called back with your name because now I can put your name in there. I was scouring it before. I don't think he said his name. There we go. Rich it is. Appreciate that. Yeah, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore dad if you want to support the podcast. All right, we'll start with the newest call, which almost was rich, but uh, Trevor's got the newest call so far. This episode of Laughing at the Enemy, trademark Brian Schlipp, is brought to you by Trevor Anderson. <laughs> I saw the Vikings have the most playoff losses in NFL history. I saw that. And I fact-checked. It's correct. I mean, they have made it to the playoffs consistently, but they can't get it done. They can't. They can't move on. They've had ample opportunity to go get a Super Bowl, and they can't do it because they choke in the playoffs. So um, I just thought that was hilarious. I mean, they had no business losing that game. And, uh, yeah, thought that was a good one. It's always a good time for an episode of Laughing at the Enemy. Trademark, Rachel. You know what the best part about that stat is? It dawned on me. The Vikings can never, ever, 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 ever talk about the Packers choking in the NFC North or the, the NFC Championship game, or whatever, or in the playoffs, or whatever, ever again. Because I was thinking about it, if we start hammering the Vikings and hammering them about this, you have more losses in the playoffs, da, 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 what, what is their response going to be? You know what it's going to be? It's going to be the exact same response that I've had defending the Packers all these years against Vikings fans, mostly Bears fans, but against Vikings fans. You know what that is? Oh, wow, sure sucks to go to the playoffs, loser. That means we've been to the playoffs a ton. You can't lose the most in the playoffs than any other team without going to the playoffs a bunch of times. So we're a successful football team, just haven't quite gotten to a Super Bowl, which is kind of a crapshoot anyways, right? It's a, I mean, it's the same argument. 
the same with the uh, the the MVP quarterbacks. Like, how do you only, after thirty years of MVP play, have two Super Bowls? How do you have that many playoff appearances and no Super Bowl victories? What are the odds of that? So they're in bed with us now. They they that's almost the exact same thing as as what we got going on. And so now, as far as I'm concerned. No Vikings fan will ever be able to throw in our face about our playoff losses ever again now that I know that stat. And every Packer fan needs to have that in their back pocket any time a Vikings fan wants to talk about it. And here's the other thing. Now that we're kind of in the same boat, and if they're smart, we have a mutual alliance about it's good to go to the playoffs, right? That's a good thing. It makes you a good team. Handshake Vikings fans, you and I, successful franchises. You haven't quite gotten it done like we have, but that's part of the the thing, I guess. It's us two against Bears fans and Lions fans. Because if they start popping off, we look down our noses at them and say, oh, what are you, jealous? You can't get to the playoffs, you bunch of freaking losers. And that's it. And that's the end of it. And now we got backup. That will confirm that actually going to the playoffs and having winning seasons and being a successful franchise is not actually a bad thing. Not that they would know, but you'll have to take our word for it. I've enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed it. A couple Packer fans here and there, and I've, I heard I was going through Viking stuff uh, yesterday. Still working, even though I haven't been doing the podcast. I've been trying to find video content. I'm, I don't think I'm going to do a laughing at the enemy just because, I don't know, it doesn't feel right after we got knocked out of the playoffs. Plus, it's just... You know, I don't know. I might throw a little bit here and there. You know, we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, I've, I, I heard a couple or at least one Vikings fan say, you know, it's not good enough. I, you know, it's Super Bowl or bust. It's like, oh, all right, that's that's your thing. It's not my thing. A lot of fans feel that way. I don't. I Of course, I want that. That is the end goal. No question about it. But again, none of these fans are, you know, on, on Sundays when their team wins, you text them all excited, and they're like, what happened? You're like, the Vikings won. He's like, cool, text me when they get to the Super Bowl. Nobody does that. Everybody loves Sunday, and they love winning, and they hate losing. So pretending because you're mad that the only thing that matters is the Super Bowl is you just flat-out bold-faced lying. <laughs> Bottom line. It's not the only thing that matters. But yeah, that's, that was the best part about that stat is, is they are in bed with us. And, our, and ours is slightly better. Because I'd be willing to bet we've been more times than them, and we've won the Super. I know we've won the Super Bowl more times than them. That's an easy one to calculate. So we're in the same boat. We're just better. Actually, let me look it up because it would probably be pretty close if they've if that if because you either win or lo- win the Super Bowl or lose in the playoffs. So if they've lost in the playoffs more than anybody else, there's a distinct chance that they have more playoff, uh, been to the playoffs more often than we have. Let me look it up. See, I guess I guess I don't know. Um, as far as entering the playoffs. The Packers have played more playoff games. 65 for Dallas is the most. 63 for Pittsburgh is the second most. And then 61 for Green Bay is the third most. Minnesota is seventh with 52. But the question I have is how many times do they get into the playoffs? I don't know. I'm sure I could manually count it. I can't think of another way to get there. Well, I guess it's just losses plus Super Bowl wins, right? Because wins doesn't matter. That doesn't help you. So for the Vikings, it would be 31 losses. So 31 would be the thing. Green Bay has 25 losses. And this is not including the uh, 1920s, 30s, 40s. Um, When does it start? When are we talking about here? 
probably Super Bowl era. So we won four. So we're just one shy. Um, although again, 1965, the year before we got in and won the championship and 62, 61. I don't know. I don't know. It's close. If we're talking strictly Super Bowl era, they've been into the playoffs one more time than us, it looks like. I think, right? What did I say? 20? No, two more times. Prior to that, it's very different. Anybody still there? Did I lose everybody? I get off on tangents. Sorry. Um, so it's going to be weird going backwards because I don't know if it's a continuation of another call. So let's start with Steve's first call, and then we'll do a second call. Hi, Ryan and my fellow Pepper people. Hey. Just uh, hanging out watching uh, some football here on Sunday. Buffalo game was pretty good. Actually, both games were the uh, late game yesterday was pretty good, too. Um, this got me thinking because they tell you, know, of course, talking coaches and, you know, Ryan, you've been talking about our coach here recently. And, you know, something that I've kind of been wondering about and I have have been unable to see clearly myself, but what is our identity as a team? What is, what is uh, offensively, what is the thing that we go to as an offense that's going to get us what we need and get us where we got to go? If you, if you look back to, you know, the early Brett Favre years, we were a screen team. You know, ran the ball well, but that set up the screens. We ran a lot of screens, and we beat people up with screens left and right. You know, about the middle of Brett's career when we had Armand Green there, it was all about the sweeps. We, we you know, the old-fashioned Green Bay sweep. We would run those left and right. Usually the defense hauled them, and we would run it, and we'd get yardage. And that's how we beat people up. Early on with, with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, it was all those back shoulder throws. If you're going to catch somebody, you caught them with back shoulder throws all the time. Game after game, we would have tons of back shoulder throws. You know, later on, you know, they went to those stupid wide receiver screens that I can't stand because they just, <laughs> oh, they're just garbage plays as far as I'm concerned. But that was what. I'll be honest, I'm surprised at how effective wide receivers. I remember when they first started, it was awful because it never worked. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like it worked all the time. Like, especially with Devontae or whatever. Maybe it was like, I don't know if it was late McCarthy or early uh, LaFleur when that actually started working. But it's like, why are you doing, oh, oh, all right, six six yards. I'll take that. You know, or you get nine on first down. I don't know. They, they seem to start working, which is weird because um, you would have expected the offense to just stop doing it. But they were insistent on doing it, and now they kind of work. I kind of like them. I don't know if they will as much anymore, especially if we're getting rid of our wide receiver core. But um, anyways. He did, and you could see it. This is what we're going to be doing. We're going to throw a lot of these. Yep. Since we've got LaFleur there, what has been our go-to play? What, is, what has been our identity as, a, as an offense? The thing that other teams have to look at and say, that's where they're going to beat us. That's what we got to stop, or at least weather and, and hope we can get by it. You know, and that's, as you've been talking about, you know, Matt LaFleur, I got this, I got this feeling that we got a guy who has a game plan, but doesn't have a play. You know, this is the play that I go to. This is the play that we're going to build a team around and have this be the play that wins for us. You know, and that's, that's something I think that we're missing. Now, you can prove me wrong. You can go through and you can look up all the numbers and see all the stats and say, no, no, this is what we do, but I haven't seen it. You know, defenses can figure us out, seem to know what we're going to run, when we're going to run a run play or run a pass play, but where is that one play that we really beat teams with? So if, if you can find one, I'd like to hear about it, but I don't think we got one. But on the offseason again, we'll keep talking about this stuff. You all have a good one. Enjoy the games. Well, first off, I think you're asking the wrong guy because I don't know if I could have given you that answer at any point. Um, I mean, I know back shoulder was a thing, 
it's it's it, it was kind of a killer, but at the same time, I mean, the thing that we killed teams with prior to this year was Devontae, right? It was it was Rodgers to Devontae. And you could say the same thing about the back shoulder. What was the back shoulder? Well, technically, it was Rodgers to Jordy, right? I mean, there was, Randall got involved a little bit, but but the, the true beauty of that thing was the timing and the connection between Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson. And that's kind of where you get back to the part where you start to wonder if this Rodgers legacy was largely just a a developed mind meld that Rodgers had with his wide receivers that he wasn't able to do with this crew. Um, now, you could look at that a couple different ways. You could look at that and say, that's the reason we need Rodgers back next year, because as he starts to develop that with Dobbs and um, Watson, it's going to be a lethal combination, especially if we draft another wide receiver, bring in another wide receiver, whatever. Um, this, you know, Jordan Addison or whoever your wide receiver du jour is, possibly uh, the tight end or whatever. But as you start to develop that, and whether that's how it was with Devontae, where he's just such a clean route runner and we got the timing down pat, so as soon as you come out of your break and you know that, that you're going to break the guy's ankles and get open, it was just an unstoppable thing with my perfect throws and your perfect routes or a Jordy Nelson thing where, you know, on one hand he's got the speed and on the next hand, you know, if, if you're trying to protect against the speed, we just throw back shoulder. So if you're behind him, he gets in front of you. If you're in front of him, we're going to throw back shoulder. You cannot stop it. Um, so that would be the one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is on the sort of negative side, there's a couple different approaches. One, he's not going to develop that by next year. And so if this is his last year, there's no point. Um, and or... You could simply look at it and say that's just one way to. I mean, just, it's not like every successful team is successful because of this mind meld with the wide receivers, and and I think this is where a lot of people look and say we need to start running the scheme. I think maybe that's more of what they're talking about is rather than Rogers just being godlike and saying me and this guy are just going to take over. Like, don't worry about it. I don't care what stupid play you call. This is what we're doing, and me and this guy, we we got it. You guys just you know offensive line, give me like two and a half seconds if you can. And uh, everybody else, try to just do your job and not suck. Me and this guy, we got it. And it's like, for some of us, it's, I don't want to do that anymore. And for some of us, it's, we can't because we don't have those guys anymore. And we don't have time to develop that level. I mean, again, Devontae was what, year three, kind of year four-ish? And that was just before he got good, not before he became like elite Devontae. That was like year five, six. And that's assuming a guy like Watson or Dobbs will ever even get there. They may not. So... I don't know. I mean, the only thing I could say in terms of what would Matt LaFleur's thing be, I mean, it's not a play, but I, I, my thought when I think of this sort of, whether it be Shanahan, McVeigh, you know, uh, we're talking Mike Shanahan thing, is misdirection, right? When Matt LaFleur came here, that was what we heard, is that everything builds off of the run, and that doesn't necessarily mean we're running the ball. It's just that everything looks like a run play, or everything looks like a different kind of play. You know, you've seen this play before. Yes, you have. But which version? Like, we saw this, so we know what you're doing. And that's that you should never be able to know what Matt LaFleur is doing if it's being run the way that he sold it to me, as was my initial understanding. We haven't heard him talk about his scheme in a while because nobody's asked it in a long time because we all feel like we understand it. But back when he first got here and would talk about it, everything looks like everything else. So they shouldn't be able to tee off on anything because any read that you get shouldn't be telling you anything. Well, we saw him run this, and last time they did it look like this. Okay, well, then we should have another play that goes to the exact opposite side. We should have a run play, a pass play, a deep pass, short pass, screen pass, every, every, every little thing that's built off of what this looks like so that 
you should not be. So it, it causes hesitation. And that was kind of my biggest issue with, I think, watching team defenses this year is they weren't hesitating. They were firing off. Well, they shouldn't be able to do that. They shouldn't be able to tell what you're doing. And you should be able to catch them, and, and we just weren't. So it was it was a confusing thing. And I and I, I don't know because I don't know the fundamentals of, of his offensive scheme and all that, and were we doing it his way, were we doing it the Rodgers way, whatever that even means. I know that's kind of the big narrative that is very possible, but I, do, I don't know. I don't know um, enough about this. I'd have to kind of go back and look at it and see. I, I do remember going back early and watching and being able to highlight, like, at this point, you don't know what they're doing. You know, or or if you look at this play, you know, the linebackers are frozen because they don't know where to go. And if if, if Matt LaFleur is getting predictable, then he's not sticking true to his own philosophy of how an offense should be run. And I don't know if that gets back to simplifying because of the younger guys, the younger and inexperienced and mishmash offensive line mixed with the wide receivers and everything else. I don't really know. But even that doesn't make sense because you don't need to know more. You just run the play as it's called. And the beauty of the play is that it's, it looks very similar to other plays. But maybe there's too many? I don't know. I don't know. That would be a, a decent question for Matt LaFleur if you think you can get an honest answer. And, and that is, do you feel that you're able to run the offense as you would like to run it. Now, if that's pointed at Aaron Rodgers, don't expect to get an answer, but if that's maybe directed more so at the younger guys, he would probably be more willing to answer that honestly and, and give a, give you an answer. And maybe that is part of it. I, 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 and, that, and that's why it's so hard to determine what to do going forward is there's so many questions like these that I don't know the answer to. I really do like the offense as it's, I mean, the, the, the philosophy behind the offense. Its execution is a separate issue, but... I love the idea of causing that hesitation because when our offense gets rocked, every single time you watch their defense, the linebackers and the defensive line, they're firing off out of a cannon. And if you can get these guys to hesitate, it just takes that away. And I'm, I'm not seeing them hesitate, and that's a problem. This offense was built and designed to kill teams for doing what the Lions did to us defensively um, you know, a couple weeks ago. So something's off, and I don't think it's my understanding of it. Either we were running it and they just had a way of keying off on it and understanding and defending against it or yeah we we've just become completely predictable and we don't have these this bevy of plays that look like all the other plays we just kind of run plays which is completely contrary to what this offense is supposed to look like and that would be i mean honestly that's a great question for a guy like dusty evely sam is more of a defensive guy but you could ask him about it he obviously understands these things maybe coach hahn um he's not super in tune with, you know, NFL football or whatever, but obviously schemes and concepts or whatever he could probably nail down if he's been in a watching. And there's, I'm sure there's plenty of others. Um, I know Clayton has been digging in quite a bit on the schemes as far as, you know, the, the newer trends and whatnot, and also kind of the nuance between the Shanahan and the McVay offense, which I only understand at a very cursory level. But the best I can tell you is I have an understanding of what the offense is supposed to look like based on what Matt LaFleur told us, and I don't see that either Either it's not happening or it's just not working, and I don't know how it could not work, but it's clearly not. Um, because again, the entire thing is designed to make sure that defenses cannot tee off on you, and if they do, they're going to get killed for it. And I'm seeing defenses tee off on us all the time. Hey, Ryan, just calling you again to listen to the show. Bear with me here. I'm a little winded. I'm out hiking. Sure. But uh, 
course. You were, uh, somebody called in and talked to you about um, draft picks, and, and you were talking about GMs and how badly they, they generally miss. And then you wanted to thought about like doing a computer comparison to see how a computer could pick, and you're trying to figure out how to do it. I think it could be done, but what you need to do is either you need to pick a team and have your computer pick or they're select when that team selects, mm-hmm. or they pick a spot in the round, say they're the number five pick in the round, they're the number ten pick, whatever. They don't get the, the consolation stuff at the end. And, uh, and then you have them pick with what remains in the draft after the team before them have already picked. That way yeah. they're not getting some crazy amount where they get to pick anybody and the regular teams don't get to do that. They'd only the computer would only get to choose from what was remaining after the teams before them had picked. So I think you could do that and that would be a great way to, to compare and see how a computer does against the regular GM in the draft, the average GM in the draft. Um you got all that fancy stuff, so if you could make it happen, that'd be pretty cool. Because I'd like to see if you know they talk about all these guys being geniuses, if they're really just lucky, or if they actually know something. So, all right, yo, I'm gonna keep on with my hike here. Y'all have a good one. Bye. So, as you're saying that, I think I just figured it out. Um, I was thinking what would be cool is what you're describing is just a mock draft simulator, but it would have to be after the draft, right? Um, and so I was thinking, well, how could you do that? Maybe you, maybe you can. No, you can't. I mean, you you could do it manually. For example, let's just say the day after the draft, they don't just update their mock draft machines; they're still sitting there. You can go through and select one team, so you know you can pick one. You pick thirty teams or thirty-one teams, and then you go through and you pick um, as the draft laid out. But that would just take a long time. Here's another thought, though. What if, you know how they got those randomizers or whatever? What if you just, um, if you had like a full list of all the players, you delete all the picks. So let's say we're doing the Packers or whatever. You you delete all the ones that went first before the Packers. Then you run the randomizer. Now that'll take just as long because you got to go through and delete every single one that got picked. I don't know. It's it It can be done. The only thing is it. It's going to skew probably a little bit more negative because there are there there is a common sense element to it, as opposed to being completely random. So so there is completely random. I'm guessing would be worse than, um, let's just say somebody with some cursory knowledge. I think the question I would have is somebody with some, for example, any random Joe running a mock draft simulator, like me or you or anybody else. The reason being, what what'll end up happening is you're going to take a seventh round pick in the in the first round, and automatically the GM wins. It's like ha ha ha. So that's where it's kind of like, all right, what if you just gave like a range of within the next hundred of within the consensus, and you just picked that, um, or again, just a mock draft simulator, and 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 you could do that where you have like a, a simulator run, and then compare it. Or, or you just go back and compare to the billions of mocks that took place. The only problem is, is that, well, that guy wasn't available at the time or whatever, but still, whatever. Um, I, and, and the thing is, it's such a crapshoot, I would be stunned if GMs had a generally higher hit rate. Because if you think about it, there's only so many good players, and they're going to be distributed among the 32 teams. There's got to be a way to look into that. But one thing we know for certain is that the GMs don't know who's going to be good and who's not. 
right? We, we know that. Nobody knows for sure who's going to be good and who's not. If that was the case, then all the good players would go in the first round, and there basically would be none left after that. You wouldn't have, you know, 75 bad picks, and then all of a sudden this one star, and then the rest suck. So it's all about just getting that little bit of an edge. It's almost like sports gambling in a way. You, know, you ever look at these professionals that pick teams and how close they are to 50-50 by the time the thing's all said and done? Because random would be 50-50, but again, if you add in the common sense element and just had, for example, my son look at their records and go, eh, probably this team, and probably would just pick the better team, I don't know. It's not that big of a difference. I'm going to figure it out. We'll, 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 we'll look at it. I, here, here's what I know for certain. Some GMs will be significantly below random. Because we've seen GMs, including Packers GMs at times, go through an entire draft and basically get nothing. Which, let's just say there's 50 good players. There's a pretty good chance one of these teams is going to come up with nothing. Because on average, it's less than two per team, but some are going to hog a bunch, right? Just, just again, if it was completely random, you'd have some with zero, some with three, four, five good picks, which is how it turns out in the draft every year. It's finding the guys that can consistently get the three as opposed to the zero or the one. Twos and threes instead of zeros and ones. Anyways, I'll be digging into that more as time goes on, looking at the drafts and draft histories and comparing GMs to random computers and uh, to each other, et cetera, et cetera. I've, I've, I've tried to do that in the past, and it's nearly an impossible task. Because the first task you have to do is to determine whether somebody is a good player or not, and how do you do that? I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat doable on a player-to-player basis, but if you're going to do, like, mass... Like, let's just say we use PFF as the standard. That's fine, but you're using a lot of shorthand. How good is Elton Jenkins? Is, is his grade this year a good rep- representation of how he is in his career? What about Jair? Jair, probably. What about Rodgers? Can we say that that was a bad draft pick based on how he performed this year? Well, of course not. It's not really emblematic of the player as a whole. And, 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 and especially when you compare it and try to use that as a metric for how good of a pick it was. So then what, do you go back over the course of their entire career? How are you going to do that for the thousands of football players or the thousand plus football players? You're not. And then, and then you start trying to add in draft picks. You know, in other words, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Well, what about undrafted free agents? And so then even if you look at the value of the picks that they've had, well, some GMs have had better picks. Am I supposed to give you the same amount of credit for getting two hits in the first round when you had two first-round picks as opposed to Gutekunst's pick of uh, Zach Tom in the fourth? Is that equal? I would say that's significantly in the favor of Brian Gutekunst picking Zach Tom, so there should be somewhat of a multiplier. Well, how much of a multiplier? And then what do you do about GMs that give away all their picks? Why should they be rewarded? They, they don't have picks because they're stupid. That's on them. I'm not going to reward you because you had one pick in six years and it was a good pick. You're an idiot for giving away your picks. So this is, this is I, every year I'm like, I'm going to do this. We're going to grind it out. And as I go through it, I'm like, I don't know, dude. Every, everywhere you turn, there's, a, there's some kind of an objection to it from myself. And then I have to start over again. Like, nope, that's stupid. Re- redo it. Redo the whole thing. So I don't know. But I will, I will end up making the bad decision of doing it again because I'm very curious and I want to just try and see what I can come up with. Anyways, why don't we take a break? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Also, please remember to check out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find them at fertilegroundranch.org. Go see what they're about, see if that's something you'd be interested in supporting. If you'd like to donate, there is a link pinned right to the top of my Twitter. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Ryan, it's Craig. Hey Craig, um, was, uh, I watched your video on Patreon on uh, the mock draft. Good, it's was, working, uh, which is cool. Um, encourage any listeners who are not Patreon members to become Patreon members. Thank you. But for nothing else, that type of stuff is really cool to have access to. Yeah, I got to. Uh, I got to come up with another video. I guess I could just keep doing mock drafts, um, but we'll see. We'll see how she goes. Uh, did a couple of mock drafts myself using the same database that you used. Um, there were times where I traded up, traded back, held pat, just kind of played around with different scenarios. Uh, one name that kept popping up, and I couldn't remember if you talked about him or not. I'm sure you might have on that video, but was at pick 45 was Darnell Washington. Oh, yeah. The tight end out of Georgia. Um, didn't know if you might want to talk about him a little bit more. And if you already have, then you can ignore this. Maybe I missed it. Uh, but I'm going to throw out two other names at you, which I thought were kind of interesting. Well, let's start with that. And again, I, I don't have any concrete opinion of anybody. Zero. Um, I have cursory opinions based on the little bit that I've seen. Um, I have had the access to be able to watch a lot of All-22, which is beneficial. But other than that, there's no reason that my opinion carries any more weight. This is just how I feel about stuff. I like Darnell Washington a lot as a Mercedes Lewis replacement, as a blocker. The biggest question I have is his upside as a receiver. If he has serious upside as a receiver, and apparently he's actually got some speed, and it, again, it's always hard to tell with the bigger guys, and, and he's not going to be shifty. He's, he's built like a giraffe, and those guys, you know, if you've ever seen a giraffe run, not super shifty. But um, if he's got 
the speed. And let me just pull up here where I think I saw, because I was surprised. I thought, I was comparing him to somebody else. I thought, this guy's probably pretty quick, and his 40 time was actually pretty slow. And then I was like, well, let's compare that to uh, Washington. They have here as a 4.63. 4.63 for a tight end is quick. 4.63 for a six foot seven, 270 pound tight end is stupid. It's beyond stupid. <laughs> 463 is is real quick. For for reference, they have Michael Mayer down at 465. So slightly faster than the top tight end in this draft. Um, and probably the highest graded tight end since uh what's his name that went to Atlanta. Now there is another guy in this class. Um it's a couple of guys that are supposed to be in the four fives. One of them, including Luke Musgrave, 451. These are all projected 40 times, not official 40 times. But still, that that's kind of when you're getting into the top end um, as far as tight ends. I got to check him out, by the way, Luke Musgrave, because just speedy, especially since he's 6'6", 250. I was expecting him to be like 235, and it's like, okay, dude, he's a, he's a, he's a slightly bigger, slow wide receiver, all right? And I don't really like those tweener guys. That kind of make, and that's technically what Lazard is, and Lazard was a perfectly fine wide receiver. But generally speaking, especially as tight ends, I just don't like it. Just call Let's just call him a wide receiver and let him block corners and just be dominant. He's too small to be inside. He's too slow to be running with any... It's just, eh, I don't know. Pick a lane, man, you know? But 6'6", 250 is, is a decent build for that speed. Anyways... I want to look that up for a second. 6'7", 270 is what Darnell Washington is. I want to look at the draft history. All right, so there's been four guys, all tight ends, that are built identical, 6'7", 270. And um, the earliest, they're all third and fourth round picks, surprisingly. Um, most recent is also the other one that ran about the same. All the other guys were significantly slower, 4'7", 6", 4'7", 8", and 4'8", 3". But you've got third-round pick in 2008 by the Kansas City Chiefs, Brad Cottam, C-O-T-T-A-M. I don't, I don't know much about him, but if you're looking for a comp, third-round pick, Brad Cottam, out of Tennessee, six foot seven, two seventy, ran a four six three. Apparently, he. I was, I was wondering why he only had, he had, I mean, not good stats, but his career abruptly ended. Apparently, he had some injury issues after three injury-filled seasons with the Chiefs. He was released on July 29th, 2011. Um, his total 16 passes, 183 yards, no touchdowns. So anyways, needless to say, I, I, I broadened my search a little bit. The only other guy I can find that's somewhat similar is Marcus Hunt, the pass rusher. He was 6'8", 277, ran a 4'6", 2". Um, not a lot of guys built like him that move like him. But straight line speed isn't everything. It just, it just really makes things intriguing. <laughs> if he's five inches taller with however many inch long wingspan more and run slightly faster than some of the linebackers out there. That's, that's saying something. Anyway, sorry, continue on with your other peoples. Um, one being a, uh, um, a Purdue grad, uh, anywhere around pick 149 to, uh, I was even able to get him at 170 was Charlie Jones. Uh, the wide receiver out of Purdue. Just wondered uh, what you might think of him. Uh, I, I did see. So Charlie Jones took a little bit of time watching Charlie. Um, first of all, let's start with PFF. Charlie Jones, a little bit smaller, six foot one eighty eight. We'll see what he weighs in at. Kind of an interesting thing. So he's twenty four years old. He's been around for a while. He was in Buffalo in twenty eighteen. Didn't play in twenty nineteen. 
went to Iowa in 2020. Maybe he went to Iowa in 2019. I don't know. But um, played but didn't get a single target in 2020. So zero targets for two years. 2021 at Iowa, 34 targets, 21 receptions, 323 yards, three touchdowns, average PFF grade, 64. Then he goes to Purdue and blows up. All of a sudden, he's a major guy over at Purdue, 154 targets, 110 receptions, 1,361 yards, 12 touchdowns, 81.6 PFF grade, 83.8 receiving grade, 91 drop grade, which is to say he doesn't do it very often at all. He had three drops, 2.7% of his targets. So he's up there. Um, Really, really like him for a lot of reasons. Really, really worried for a lot of others. It's one of those guys where if he goes to the NFL and and is a really good receiver, you're just like, I'm an idiot. I should have just come out and said it. You could see it all over. You you see it all over his tape. But if he goes and busts out in the NFL, it's like, well, why would you think a guy that's 188 um, pounds, 24 years old, one good year in college at Purdue, like, why would you bet on that? As far as watching him, I really think, although he didn't play slot in college, that might be his best bet or at the very least, sort of a Romeo Dobbsy type guy, even though Dobbs is expected to be able to get down the field. Um, let me see what his 40 is projected to be. Yeah, 4-5-1. I watched him against Wisconsin. Um, so the, the guy is basically always open, but not like Christian Watson. He's a, a, a smooth route runner and does a good job of finding that open spot in the zone. I feel like he would be the sort of guy where if Aaron Rodgers comes back and you want to get a guy that can get that mind meld thing going, this would be your guy. You want to convert the third down and he's just going to come real sharp out of that break right on time and, you know, really, really good hands catch that pass. Basically, you want to replace Randall Cobb, sort of, sort of, kind of, maybe. There's Charlie Jones. That's just, again, my initial thoughts on Charlie. Impressed with the guy, but didn't know how well he would fit with our, our, uh, our team uh, and our other wide receivers. And then the other um, kind of intriguing one was the, the quarterback um, from TCU was available at like 240. Um, and I'm look, trying to look for him. I draw, draw, oh, Max Dugan. Um, and again, obviously the whole quarterback thing is a big question mark, but uh, TCU obviously going to the national championship. Um, but he's obviously, if he's available at 240, there must be lots of uh, drawbacks. But uh, is he worth taking a flyer on and, and uh, having on the team, having on the bench or the practice squad or something? So those are just three names for you to maybe uh, consider. I won't, uh, maybe later I'll throw some others at you, but curious about those. Thanks. Bye. I think either way, especially when you're talking about mid to late round, I would imagine people would be able to not get uh, angry at that thought because. If nothing else, we could use an additional quarterback. Developmental, late round, third string guy, because we don't have a third string. We might not have a second string depending on the Rodgers decision. So getting somebody that apparently, as you said, is available at 240. Let me see where he is. Uh, you said you're using the same thing, so I'm guessing that's where you saw it from. Well, he's up right now, uh, 193, Max Dugan. But a little bit more consistent with him. Four years at TCU, nothing crazy there. Six foot two, 210. Not the bulkiest guy, but decent enough size. Um, And then if you look at, let me go to his throwing, his overall grade, 79, 76, 83. So uh, pretty consistent, tiny spike in his final year, which I guess is a good thing. 
His passing grade, uh, 69.9, 74.2, and then 77.0. So 69.74.77 has gone up slightly. He's also grading out quite well as a uh, runner pretty much every year. That isn't to say he's super fast. There's really no correlation that I can tell. Well, I shouldn't say no correlation, but not as much as you would think between the fast ones and the uh, good rushing grades. It's a lot of fast quarter, but like Kyler Murray was at one point, I don't know about this past year, but I think a couple years ago, he's graded out as a terrible runner. And then you'll have Tom Brady with a decent rushing grade and people get all mad about it. Um, Only real issue is that when you look at his overall grade of 83, it's not really a good representation of of his game-to-game play, but it's also not terrible. He's only had one bad game, which is great, and that was against Georgia, (laughs) which is understandable. Um, 43. The lowest aside from that was a 61, but if you're kind of looking, I think a lot of times when I, at least when I look at PFF grades, I see an 83, and I just assume that's generally what he is. Very rarely is that the case. Um, he only had three games above at or above an 83. He only had three games at and above an 80. Um, if I had to pick like a sort of more of a median grade, it'd probably be around a 70. Um, but again, nothing terrible, only one bad game consistently average to above average, um, with about a little less than half, call it a third maybe of his games coming in at good or better. And, and with three essentially at elite, um, at Kansas, 87, um, at home against Tarleton, whatever that is, 89.2. And then at West Virginia was his best game of this past year at a 91. And as I said, this all 22, they, they have a gift at looking at um, picking some of the lesser games. So Texas Tech and Baylor were uh, his third and fourth worst games of the season. But uh, Texas Tech, I guess, was, well, Baylor, he had 328 yards. I'll watch that one. There was there was a pick in that game, though. So initial thoughts on Max. Um, no real complaints. The only thing that I sort of got a sense of is it didn't really feel, didn't feel smooth, you know, the timing. Like, he didn't really exactly understand everything quite perfectly. You know, in terms of, like I've said with Rodgers and, and other veteran quarterbacks, there should be an understanding of, Here's our play. Once I read their defense, I'll know how our play interacts with that, and I'll know exactly where my eyes need to be, right? And as soon as this happens, I'm going to throw it. If you watch the first play, you've got their stud wide receiver who runs a quick slant route. He's open, quarterback staring at him. He doesn't throw it, and he waits, and he waits, and then he scrambles, kind of breaks the pocket a little bit, still stares at him, and then throws it. Like, what, what, do, you, what are you waiting on there? Just kind of indecision, I guess couple bad throws, and I mean, overall, there was really nothing that wows you, I guess, which is why he's not in the first round conversation, but I definitely didn't walk away from that thinking this guy's a disaster. If you're talking about a guy you want to work with a little bit and kind of have him as your third string, yeah, dude, go for it. See what happens. The next Brett Hundley, take him mid to late, see how she goes, although... Probably rather not. Late would be better than mid to late. <laughs> the Hundley thing was a little disappointing. Didn't we trade up in the fourth for him or something? I was pretty excited about him. I really thought he was going to be something something fun. Anyways, hope that helps. Those are just, again, sort of the PFF insights and my quick cursory thoughts. We've got uh, three here from Zach from Minnesota. So let's just hit those three and then we'll call her a day. What do you see? Hey, Ryan. Zach from Minnesota. Hey, man. 
Um, I think I finally pinpointed my frustration with Rodgers. And it stems all the way back to 2011. I've always been a guy who would defend Rodgers when they people would say Brady was a better quarterback. I'd say, no, Rodgers is better. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have a defense. doesn't have that. And looking back at 2011, we lost to the Giants. It was defense's fault. It wasn't Rodgers' fault. Yeah. 2012, Kaepernick ran for a million yards. That yep. wasn't Rodgers' fault. 13, I think against the Niners, we allowed a last-second field goal. 14, probably <laughs> one of the saddest moments of my life against Seattle, losing that game. wasn't Rodgers' fault. Offsides. Offsides. Or the onside kick. Then 15, Arizona. Wasn't his fault. Defense, no receivers. Defense sucked. 16, defense got blown out by Atlanta in the playoffs. 19, Niners ran for a million yards. Then 2020 hit, and I think I finally, finally realized that it might be Rogers' fault. In all these games, he's never played good. And, uh, I don't know. I want to hear what you think about that. Bye. Yeah, and I I think for me it just kind of comes down to it, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, you know. It's it's not like, you know, you can't blame Rodgers for all these playoff losses because of, look at, you know, like you listed all that stuff. Well, that's true, but that doesn't really have anything to do with, for example, 2020, 2021, 2022, or whatever, you know, or, or, or again, moving forward. I, I have no issue looking at Rodgers at, at, for what he did in the past and how great he was and, and the fact that, yeah, if we had better defenses, if we had better weapons, if we had better this, better that, we probably would have won more Super Bowls. But just because it was true eight years ago doesn't mean it's true in 2023. You know, it, it doesn't mean that, well, you, f- you know, Ted Thompson failed to build a defense in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and that's why we lost. And therefore, if we fail this year, it's not Rodgers. We've already established that. So it's the defense, it's the receivers, it's this, it's that. Well, no, every year is its own thing. Um, and this year, again, there are, there are a lot of questions of where the issues lie. And it's pretty much everywhere. There's serious questions and, and uh, valid questions about the coaching staff, about the scheme, about the ability to execute the scheme about the culture, about the locker room, about the offense, defense as a whole, about, um, you know, in particular, the offensive line, the quarterback, the wide receivers, even the running backs at times would kind of disappear. The tight ends, it's not even really a question about the tight ends. We just kind of know they're not good. Uh, Defensive line, edge rusher, linebacker, corners. at, at, At different points, everybody's kind of to blame. But I know for me personally, I'm having a really hard time carrying that old narrative into today and saying that, you know, it's it's not Rodgers, it's Gutekunst failing to get him what he needs. It's like, you know, that that was a tired narrative a long time ago. Um, having watched this year, I just can't, I can't do it. Because, again... You look at the talent on our roster compared to some other rosters. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, everybody was all, oh, look, they, they got multiple weapons. They got Tyreek Hill and Kelsey. Well, Tyreek Hill left. What happened? Nothing. They didn't even take a half a step back. So he didn't need two weapons. That's not true. He has one now. 
if we're talking top tier, which is what we had when we couldn't get the job done. Now he has it, and he's getting the job done. But he also does not have a run game, doesn't have anyone even close to Aaron Jones. Fluctuated up and down with offensive lines, sometimes really solid, sometimes not as much. And the defense has been, at times, disastrous, but it doesn't change anything. So I will never be on the side of, you know, it's up to the GM to build a perfect roster, and only then can you expect to be a good team. BS. So how much is Rodgers to blame in this? I don't know, but I certainly know for a fact he's a part of the equation now. Whereas before, it was questionable to doubtful that he had anything to do with it. In fact, a lot of times, as you pointed out, he was the only thing working. That's just not the case anymore. And now when you look at the team as a whole, you just look at it and say everything and everyone at some point or another, aside from maybe like, I don't know, David Bakhtiari, was a disaster either once, twice, or a bunch of times. Everybody was. And that includes Rodgers. It's not Rodgers dragging the team anymore. It's just a bunch of guys that you watch and just go, what are you doing? From Jair to Kenny to Rodgers to Elton to LaFleur to Joe Barry to everybody, you know? So I I guess that's kind of where I'm at is he's not the guy to blame, but he's just one of these guys in a pile of guys many of whom are paid massive amounts of money to be superstars that are not playing like superstars, that kind of ticked me off. Kenny Clark did not earn his paycheck. He didn't earn his contract. Jair, eh, iffy. Bakhtiari did. Elton, he kind of picked it up toward the end, but you'd like to see a more consistent year out of him. Aaron Jones, probably. He started off white hot, kind of tapered a little bit. Rodgers, no. Not even close. And, you know, you just, you can't win that way because everybody only gets so much money. And the idea is to make, spread that money out as much as you can to to bring in as much talent as you can. And when you dump tons of money on four or five, six guys, and those guys perform like average players, you are in a bad situation. And we were, we didn't, we didn't have really any superstars. The only real in my opinion, just dominant player was Bakhtiari, and he didn't even play, I mean, what did he play, half a year? I don't think there was anybody else on this team that was just a, you know, consistent stud that you could always rely on, and that includes Aaron Jones. He was a stud, but less than half of the games. Let's just be completely honest about it. He didn't, he wasn't a superstar in eight games this year. He got above 50 yards, just 50, which is a pretty low bar. He got above 50 yards seven times. How many times did he have more than 50 yards and a touchdown? Twice. He had 138 yards and a touchdown against Dallas, 132. And so if you're talking 100 plus and or a touchdown, it was five games that he, and, and, and again, he only had two touchdowns the entire year. He had five fumbles, two touchdowns, five fumbles. And um, however many games under 50 yards, 49 against Minnesota, 48 against Detroit, 43 against Philly, 40 against Tennessee, 36 against Tampa, 29 against Miami, 26 against Chicago, 25 against Detroit, 23 against Washington, 19 against the Jets. 20, I mean, 20 yards or less is terrible. Only getting, you know, 29, 26, 25, 23. He had as many under 30 as he had over 100. I'm not, I'm not trying to dump on him. I'm just saying, you start talking about paying a guy like a superstar running back, and again, he started off really, really solid this year. But I just don't think that that really continued. Maybe some of that is usage, but 
doesn't really matter. If we're not going to use him as a superstar, why do we pay him as a superstar? We don't get, we, it's not prorated if we don't play him. We don't get a refund check. Seven games under four yards per carry. He did average 5.3. I'm just saying, on a, from a consistency standpoint, just didn't really have anybody. Again, the, the only guys that you really depend on that, that did that kind of thing, you got like Rashawn, well, he went out. Bakhtiari, he was hurt a lot. Um, Devontae's gone. Eh. It just kind of produces a team that just feels eh. Especially when you have so much, you know, I mean, if, if you're just a baseline good team, but then you have like a superstar on top of it, like one one week it's this guy, it's Jones, the next week it's Christian Watson, the next week it's this, that's when you can really kind of make stuff happen. But when you got only one guy kind of breaking out, but you got five guys playing like garbage, you got two offensive linemen, and you got wide receivers dropping balls, and you got Rodgers missing passes, it's like the one guy playing well doesn't do it, doesn't mean anything. Anyways, we'll get to your second one. Oh, that's only five seconds. Let's get to your other one. Yeah, sorry I got interrupted there. Um, just wanted to finish my thoughts. Um, the uh, the point of frustration for me comes when you have all these playoff failures, and it's never been his fault. And to hear him go up to the podium and basically say it's never his fault, it just it's maddening. I think he's the leader of this team. Even when it's not his fault, he needs to take responsibility when, obviously, this year it was. And uh, I just keep going back to all those playoff games where, yes, the defense did suck, but he could have did something, too, with the offense. We never, in any of those games, I don't think we ever scored over 30 points, if I remember right. But, I don't know, just frustration. This, I think, like most people, is ready to, move on to the next chapter. Yeah, I mean, I definitely know he's had good playoff performances, that's for sure. In terms of the playoff losses, you know, in other words, did he get us two wins and then we lost, and that's when it's like, you know, that was when he fell off? I I guess let's look at it. Um, Last year, the offense scored 10 points. That's obviously pathetic. 2020, we scored 26. Against Tampa, I don't think that's terrible. Um San Francisco is 20. That's, again, a tough defense, but if you're a playoff-caliber team, come on. Uh, 2018, we didn't get in. Uh, 2017, we... Man, we're, we're on track to be in the playoffs less than we've been. So 17 and 18 and 22, we are out. 19, 2020... So, yeah, we're 50% in the last six seasons. That's kind of not great, even making the playoffs. Uh, anyways, 2016, we scored 21. Yeah, that's not super good, especially, I think Atlanta was, uh, I mean, they're a powerhouse offense. Come on, computer's all jacked up now. Yeah, that was a 27th ranked defense, so 21 points against them. And I don't know the particulars in terms of, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Probably should do better than that. 2015, we scored 20, uh, against the Cardinals. And they were the seventh-ranked defense. But again, no matter what, 20 is kind of garbage. Um, 2014, Seattle was 22 points. I know that was Legion of Boom defense, number one, number one. Um, Again, you still expect more if you're talking about being a powerhouse offense. 22 points is not great. 2013, we lost to the 49ers. We scored 20 points. 
2012, we lost to the 49ers, scored 31. So the last time the offense really put up a did a did a number on somebody and we still lost and could really blame the defense would definitely be 2012. We scored 31, the defense gave up 45 points, which is insane, and that was against the 11th ranked defense. So yeah, I I I think I'm I'm with you in terms of you know, saying that the uh the defense has always let Rodgers down. The defense has been a disappointment, but it's one thing to say that the defense has been bad every year and that makes it harder. It's another thing to say Rodgers has been a superstar and it's only because of the defense that we've lost. No, when you're scoring 20 points, that that's no superstar anything. And again, remember, we're we're talking about an elite quarterback with almost every year a very good offensive line and at least one elite wide receiver, if not multiple, almost every year. So the excuses for being stuck at 20, 22, 24 points, um, not not great. But this would be like the one year you'd look at and say this was this was Aaron Rodgers and that offense putting up you know, a Herculean effort against a stout defense and uh, our defense completely collapsed. Um, 2011, again, you look at it and you say, well, that was clearly the defense because you got one of the best offenses we've ever had. And then the defense gave up 30. Yeah, but the offense only scored 20. So even 2011, um, and that was the second lowest score they had the entire season. The only other one was the Kansas City loss, which was 14. So um, aside from that, it looks like, what, 24 points, I think, was the lowest we scored all season. So even that, you, you could say, well, the defense let us down. They scored 37. No, yeah, you, you can't really blame. You can't say that the offense did anything spectacular when they scored 20. This was an offensive and defensive failure. 2010, we won the Super Bowl largely based on defense. I mean, the offense and defense each played their part, but um, the defense allowed 16, 21, and 14. The offense did only score 21 against Philadelphia, and we won, only scored 21 against Chicago. Both of those could easily have been losses. Um, And then the most they gave up the entire postseason was 25 points, um, and the offense came through with 31. So that's where you got that, that sort of offensive and defensive balance there. 2009, I think, is probably the most disappointing, and that was definitely peak Aaron Rodgers. 45 points, and we lost to the Arizona Cardinals in overtime because they scored 51. That one, so that one in, what did I say, 2012? Those are the two times you look at it and say, freaking Rodgers cannot catch a break, man. I mean, they're, I mean, and, and plus it's peak Aaron Rodgers. It's not just the offense and we just say Rodgers because it's the offense. It's Rodgers doing magical things along with a great offense on top of that, and the defense is just pathetic. But the fact of the matter is the last time we could have said that, honestly, was 2012. We've played 10 full seasons since then, since the last time Rodgers just absolutely destroyed a playoff team and we still lost. That's a long time. So, And, and the fact that it's only really happened twice, it's just kind of a tired narrative. Now, granted, again, we, we could have, would have, should have won a couple of these, had there been a better defensive effort. But yeah, the, 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 the superhero narrative that's just missing a defense doesn't really fly. So, I mean, I, I just think we need to figure out, moving forward, how do we make this a good football team, you know? 
What is it going to take to just be this this freaking powerhouse again? What does that look like? What 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 do we have to do? How long is it going to take? Uh, you know, uh, uh, really, I mean, let let's reach for the for the sky a little bit here. What does that look like? The 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 team you're picturing is Matt Lafleur the coach, is Aaron Rodgers the quarterback? Is it happening next year? Two years? Three years? Who's the defensive coordinator? Who is a part of this and who is not? And honestly, I think when you think about it that way, it kind of changes some stuff. When I think about this just dominant powerhouse team, I, for example, struggle to picture David Bakhtiari on it. A hobbled up tackle, getting up in age, missing half the season. Is that, is that it? Is that the team? And if we're thinking about a core of, you know, Rashawn Gary, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, Jair, Stokes, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, do you really think that's going to happen next year? I would say at the earliest, it's 2024. I don't see all these guys really clicking next year. Now, I, and I don't mean to discourage. I mean, maybe something magical can happen next year. But And, and maybe we could just be good. Instead of great, we'll just be good. But picture a great Green Bay Packers team. What does it look like, and how do we get there? Interesting question. Uh, why don't we leave it there? You guys have yourselves a good night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.